chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, verses 34 through 38. Um, as you're turning there, I acknowledge, as a son, I acknowledge my mother as a remarkable woman. I also acknowledge my wife as a remarkable woman as well, because they are the two women who are dear and special to my heart. I will give them whatever I can, my very life if I have to. You know, I also praise my mother, not in the sense of worship, but in the sense of that she's just my mother. And nobody else can take her place. You know, many people can make this claim about your mother as well. Um, you can make a claim that your mother was a good mother. So can I. But I give my mother recognition because she was determined to raise four kids alone by herself, being a single parent. Uh, she had an option of just getting rid of her kids, but she didn't. I'm glad that she didn't. Um, but for the most part... When I look at my mother, I look at a very strong woman who dearly loved her kids, despite how wayward some of her kids may be. There are many women in history that we can recognize for who they were or who they are, um, and there are Many women in the Bible that we can recognize for what they did and who they were as well. For example, Luke records in his gospel and also in the gospel of Acts, uh, the epistle of Acts, several women. He talks about Anna, who was recognized as the woman who was praying in the temple for the long-awaited Messiah. Elizabeth, who is the mother of John the Baptist. Mary and Martha um, are the two sisters of Lazarus. Mary Magdalene, who, of whom Jesus uh, cast out demons from her. Susanna. Or what about Sapphira? who is the wife of Ananias. And we remember her story as well, at least the ending of her story, that the Holy Spirit killed her because she lied. You know, so in history, we can recognize people for what they did and who they were. But there is one person beside everyone else 
that will always be remembered. And that is a young girl by the name of Mary. She's going to be remembered throughout history. Um, she, we have been talking about, well, Christians have been talking about Mary for the last 2,000 years, ever since the inception of Christendom. Because she's a remarkable, or she was a remarkable woman. And this is the person we will learn about today. We know Mary by her name, but in Hebrew, it's called Miriam. So if you're already there, to Luke chapter 1, verses 34 through 38. I will uh, like to read the text and we'll continue. It says, And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her, who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. I know that we learned several things about uh, God's plan to send his son here on earth. God planned this before the foundation of the world. And the Old Testament prophets had foretold that God would send the Messiah to Israel. For example, in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, Isaiah prophesied that a virgin will give birth to a son. And according to our text, that promise arrived. I mean, the promised arrival of the Messiah was fulfilled through a young girl named Mary. There are several things that we will learn today about Mary. First, we will learn about Mary's, said this in the most up, utmost way I can, her virginity, and what that means and meant. We will learn about Mary's I mean, we will learn about the activity of the Holy Spirit in Mary's life. We will learn the titles of the Son of God, Jesus. And lastly, well, two more, God's sign in Mary's life. And lastly, Mary's obedience. Let's talk about the first, if I'm connected, let's see.
Let's talk about the first one, which is Mary's virginity. Um, in verses 34 through 38 is the latter part of Gabriel's announcement to Mary. Previously, we learned that Gabriel came to Mary, visiting her in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. He told her that God has bestowed grace upon Mary. According to verse 28, he said to her, O highly favored one, that is to say, God graciously chose Mary to be the mother of the Son of God. Her son shall be called Jesus, which means God saves. He will save his people from the enslavement of sin, the penalty of death, and from God's just wrath. Gabriel told her that Jesus will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. Jesus will be exalted above all things and all people. He will have the eternal, have a eternal kingdom. That is Mary's, uh, that was Gabriel's first announcement. After Mary heard the uh, angel Gabriel's word, it dawned in her mind that she was the virgin in which Gabriel was talking about, in which the prophets prophesied about. Mary's realization of this truth caused her to be profoundly confused. Uh, She was bewildered. She was greatly astonished at Gabriel's words, according to verse 29. Luke tells us she was troubled. She had mixed feelings after hearing Gabriel's words. So she asked a simple question. She said, how can this be since I am a virgin? That's a logical question to ask, right? Remember, in verse 18, Zechariah asked a similar question. He asked, how shall I know this? He was an old man, and he was asking out of, eh, this is getting on my nerves, sorry. <laughs> That's great. He was asking out of doubt. He was asking for a sign. He wanted a sign because he doubted. And because he doubted, God caused muteness and deafness to be his sign as a form of punishment. However, she did not comprehend how it was possible for a woman to conceive without knowing a man. Gabriel did not say to her, when you come together with Joseph, you will conceive. We know there isn't anything miraculous between a man and a woman coming together to bear children, point blank. There's nothing 
miraculous about that is a natural process that God has designed. But it was unimaginable for Mary to conceive in her mind that she would bear a child without knowing a man. So she asked the question, how can this be? She couldn't understand the possibility of being pregnant while, a vir- while being a virgin. Therefore, Gabriel's explanation gave a simple answer to Mary. The conception of her child will be a divine miracle. I've mentioned to you that miracles are rare. They do not happen on a daily basis. Even in the Old Testament, it may appear that they did, but they did not. Miracles were a rare occasion on a daily basis to the point where the appearance of an angel didn't happen until 500 years later, and that occurred with Zechariah and Elizabeth. The very fact that Zechariah and Elizabeth were able to conceive in their old age, despite Elizabeth's barrenness, was a miracle. There are many people who reject the notions of miracles today. When you reject the notion of miracles, you say that God does not exist. You say that the Bible does not exist. Well, the Bible is not true. It's filled with fairy tales. But my rebuttal to that is that there is one miracle that we see on a daily basis. And that is creation. It's undeniable. We see creation on a daily basis, and no one can deny that that is not a miracle. It's already happened, and we see the evidence of it. So in terms of Mary conceiving was going to be a divine miracle. Let's talk about the activity of the Holy Spirit. We see In verse 35, it says, And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. That is, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, but what does it mean? What is Luke communicating to us? Well, the word come has a Greek meaning in Acts, which says you will receive power when the Holy Spirit come upon you, according to Acts chapter 1, verse 8. This is when Jesus was foretelling that the Holy Spirit would come on the day of Pentecost and empower them to do signs and wonders. More, more specifically, it means 
whenever the Holy Spirit arrived, Mary was going to conceive at that very moment. It wasn't going to be a waiting period. When the Holy Spirit came upon Mary, she was going to have that child at that very moment. This is going to be way before Joseph and Mary conceived or consummated their marriage. Do you remember that, uh, that the Holy Spirit was involved in creation? In Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, it says, The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the earth. So in the same lightness, when the Holy Spirit arrived at the moment to create Jesus or to produce Jesus in Mary's womb, it was like that. The Spirit of God made life on earth by speaking into existence. He created, you know, he created Adam from what? From dirt, from dust of the earth. But that is totally different from how he was going to produce Jesus inside of Mary's womb. This is what I mean by a miracle. One pastor said this, the Holy Spirit, who was the original agent of creation, will again become an agent of creation. This time in the womb of of this young girl. Now, when you start thinking about the, the conception of Jesus, I must say we don't want to spiritualize this. We don't want to overemphasize how Jesus was conceived inside of Mary's womb. For the most part, it will always remain as a miracle and a mystery. I told you all, and as you already know, that we can put to words how a baby can be conceived inside a woman's womb. But giving accurate details of every single moment will always remain as a mystery. So it's always best to read this particular text plainly, as it is. Not adding to it and not taking away from it. You know, many people who do not believe in the virgin birth, have over-sexualized verse 35. However, there is nothing, absolutely nothing, in this text that says that the Holy Spirit has sexual relations with Mary. God does not have carnal pleasures like we do. He is not like a mythical Greek god. Like Zeus, who had, is believed to have sexual relations 
with women and created or produced demigods like Hercules. You know, I like watching those movies, but that's what they are, mythical. They come from mythology. There's nothing true from that. Luke tells us that the Holy Spirit overshadowed Mary. The Most High will overshadow you. This is exactly what the Holy Spirit did without physically touching her. It is like a cloud overshadowing a landscape or an area. You begin to produce shade, to give shade to an area. Similar to that. Now, the, the word used in the same, this word overshadow is used in the same manner where the, in the New Testament, Jesus went up on a mountain and transfigured to show his deity, his glorified self. And out of that, the, God the Father came in a cloud and overshadowed them. This is what Luke is saying. Uh, the Lord God said, this is my, it says in Matthew chapter 17, verse 5, Jesus was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And a voice from the cloud said, this is my beloved son whom I am well pleased. You know, another way of describing how the Holy Spirit overshadowed Mary is in Exodus chapter 40, verse 35. This is when Moses was, could not enter into the tabernacle. It says this, Exodus 40, verse 35, And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. So God covered Mary's womb and filled it with his glorious son. That is the only way I can accurately describe it. This is exactly what Gabriel is saying to her. God superseded the normal process of procreation and produced in Mary's womb, God the Son. Just as much it was divine, a divine act, when Jesus produced enough food to feed 5,000 people from two or three breads, loaves of bread and two fish, it was a divine act for the Lord to to produce Jesus in Mary's womb. Look at 30, uh, verse 35 again. The angel Gabriel went on to say, Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. I, I don't want us to read that passively or skimp over the titles of Jesus. This is very important. When John the Baptist was born, 
He was born being filled with the Holy Spirit from the conception, from the very conception that he was in his womb, uh, his mother's womb. At that very moment, John the Baptist was filled with the Holy Spirit. When Christ was born, he was filled with the Holy Spirit because he is God. Every person that is born into this world, they are born in depravity. They are born into sin. You know, when I was a baby, I was a cute little baby. Um, (laughs) But at the same time, I was a cute little baby who was a sinner. And this is well known throughout Scripture. David said this of himself in Psalms chapter 51, verse 5. David said, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. David wasn't saying he was born out of wedlock or an illegitimate marriage. He was saying at the moment of his conception, he was born as a sinner. Even we can go a little further with this thought. When God created Adam from the dust of the earth, he was created not holy, but good. Not holy, but good. Adam was created with innocence, but not holiness. Angels, they're not created as holy beings uh, because we know the results of that. We have uh, Satan, who was a fallen angel, who rebelled against God. This is the reason why we have demons, and they are fallen angels. They weren't created holy. But when Jesus was born, he was born holy. This is important. If Jesus was not born holy, not born in the fashion of which Gabriel uh, described his how could he free anyone from the slavery of sin? How was it possible for him to deliver us from the power of sin if he was born in the natural procreation? Natural procreation. Therefore, holiness. It's a precise attribute of Jesus' nature. This is why he does not have the ability to sin. Furthermore, at the moment of Jesus' conception, he was sinless. At the moment of John the Baptist's conception, although he was filled with the Holy Spirit, he was sinful. God the Holy Spirit used 
Mary's womb as a holy temple. To fill her womb with God the Son to dwell in for nine months. Let's talk about Jesus and his other titles. If you look at 35b, the latter part of the verse 35, it says, The Most High will overshadow you, therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. So, not only he is called Holy, but he also is called the Son of God. This isn't just a title. Jesus had many titles. Throughout the gospel, Jesus referred to himself as the Son of Man. He is also titled uh, Lord, which is the same, uh, trans, uh, same word that is used uh, for God the Father in the Old Testament, which is Adonai. In Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, Jesus has other titles. A wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. But nonetheless, none of those phrases are equally important to this particular title, the Son of God. The Son of God has specific meaning. The phrase Son of God is found in the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It is found in the book of Romans, Galatians, Ephesians, Hebrews, and 1 John. Now, to add a footnote, Jesus was Mary's son. Yes, he was adopted by Joseph, which made him... Uh, legally, the son of David and the son of Joseph. Uh, Jesus inherited uh, the Davidic line of David because he was adopted by Joseph. So, with that being said, he was their son, but he was the son of God. He was God's son in human form. And the reason why this is important is, is the phrase simply identifies Jesus' deity. There's nobody in the world who can claim this title, Son of God, except for the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, I... And I was talking to a Jehovah Witness. I simply asked him the question, what does the Son of God mean when it refers to Jesus? He could not give me an answer. You know, Peter used this similar phrase by confession, uh, making a confession of Jesus' identity. In John chapter 6, verse 6, 68 through 69, Peter said to Jesus, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal 
life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Matthew chapter 16, verse 15 through 16. Peter said another confession. Peter said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. The point is this. Either Luke is communicating a lie, or he isn't. Either he's telling the truth or he's not. There are only two options when you think about Jesus' identity. Either he is human or he is God. Either he's a lunatic lying about his identity, lying about who he was or, he, or what he said was the truth. You know, this is the Christian doctrine that we all believe in. Uh, the term for that is the hypostatic union. You don't, the importance of the term is not really important, but the concept is that God, that Jesus Christ is the second person of the Trinity, that he is fully God and fully man, 100% God and 100% man. Either that is the truth or it isn't. I think the writer of Hebrews said it best. The writer of Hebrews said, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. I believe all of you have kids, uh, for those who are adults. When you're little babies... Um, as you were looking, listening to Marvin Gaye, Let's Get It On, you created your babies. I need to lighten y'all up some. You created your babies, and when your babies were born, they came in the likeness of you. They have similarities, physical similarities, just like you. This is somewhat similar to Jesus. But what differs from the likeness of Jesus is that he is not in the likeness of God. He is the exact imprint of God. Chris and I have a child. They're going to look similar to us, but that's not the exact imprint. It's more of a copy of us. Jesus wasn't a copy You know, my wife, Crystal, tells me all the time that I look like my mother. As if my mother just spit me out on the side of her neck. Because I, I carry her likeness. Jesus is God's son. He is God. He is the second person of the Trinity. You know, there are two genealogies about in, in, in uh, Matthew. Well, there's one genealogy in Matthew chapter, Matthew chapter 1. And there's another genealogy in Luke chapter 3. 
And as you continue to read Matthew chapter 1 about Christ's genealogy, you would notice something that is very different from Luke's genealogy. And that is, one, is speaking of the Davidic line of Jesus, that he's the legally adopted son of Joseph. But in Luke's genealogy, it directly points everyone or acknowledge everyone to know that Jesus is not the son of Joseph, but the son of God. And the reason for that is because Matthew chapter 1 is a genealogy of Joseph. Luke's genealogy is a genealogy of Mary's line, her genealogy. That is the difference. So when we think about Christ and who he is, we have to think about that he is God's son and he is God. Look at verse verses. 36 through 37 in Luke chapter 1. It says this in 36 and 37, And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her, who was called barren. This is talking about God giving Mary a sign. How many times God has given you signs in your life? There are three times in my life God has given me a sign. Those three signs alter my life forever. The first sign is my, uh, me marrying Crystal. That altered my life, not because of marriage, but because of our salvation. Her salvation and my salvation. The second sign is for me is to, is to call to ministry. Which made a long, but rather short journey uh, to where I'm at now. And the third sign that the Lord has given me is confirming my pastoral ministry here at Akron Alliance Fellowship. Those are the three signs that the, Lord, I, that the Lord has given me, and I know that for sure. Now, this is somewhat how God communicates to his people, to help them to be affirmed in their faith. You remember the story of Gideon, how Gideon asked for a sign by placing a cloth or a fleece on the ground when the ground was wet. And he asked God to allow the fleece and the ground to be soaked up with water. Then he told God, asked God for another sign to do the, quite, to do the opposite of what God did before. Or what about the signs that God performed in Egypt? 
now they are miracles, but they also were signs. God rained ten plagues down upon Egypt. You know, one of uh, the plagues was that God sent gnats or bugs and uh, on man and beast. It says this in Exodus chapter 8, verse 18. All the dust of the earth became gnats in all the land of Egypt. And this is when Pharaoh magicians recognized that this was God. This was a sign from God because this is what they said. This is the finger of God. God was in the midst. You know, so when we look at verses 36 and 37, God has given, gave Mary a sign. And the sign was Elizabeth's pregnancy. The angel said to Mary, and behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son and in the sixth month with her, who is called barren. God was gracious to Mary to give her a sign, although she never asked for one. She was not like Zechariah, who doubted and say, how shall I know this? Because he knew he and his wife were old in age and his wife was barren. Before, in verse 30, uh, if you look at verse 24, Elizabeth probably were in her 70s or in her early 80s. And she was five months pregnant, carrying a child for 18 to 21 weeks. I looked that up because I was like, what are trimesters? Like, what are the, I know you have three, okay. I digress. <laughs> I know I'm going to hear about that later on. But anyway, I would say that Elizabeth was in her second trimester. So she hid herself because, you know, in that time, women and men, they they was wearing long robes. Um more clothing than most people wear today. Um, I'm talking about for people who, who just put on anything and one half of their skirts are missing. And for the men, part of their pants are sagging. You know, so anyway, I digress. The point is this. They were wearing longer robes. And for her to hide, to be hidden or to hide herself, was it for a purpose? Her baby bump wasn't going to be showing at that time. If she, w- if she would have went around saying, I am pregnant, I am pregnant, they would have thought that she was crazy. But now, since it is the sixth month, she, or her baby bump, is now protruding. It is now showing It is showing more than what it was. 
And it is apparent that Mary did not know that Elizabeth was pregnant. So when she heard the news that her relative Elizabeth was pregnant, how do you think Mary felt? This is like my mom calling me and saying, Travis, your 80-year-old grandmother is pregnant. It would be hard for me to believe. I admit, I will be shocked. So I'm not too hard on Zechariah. Because God would have made me a deaf and a mute as well. I would have to receive confirmation. And this is, again, this is why Zechariah said, how shall I know this? But Mary, she wasn't in doubt. She did not doubt God. But God strengthened her faith by telling her and giving her a sign that her cousin or her relative was pregnant. It's, you know, I do believe Mary was shunk, but it is as if the angel uh, was saying to Mary, uh, Mary, do you think conceiving a child without knowing a man is something? Wait till I tell you this. Your cousin is pregnant. And by the way, there's nothing impossible with God. You know, that is what I, that's my translation, but that is what I think the, uh, the angel said. You know, and by the way, Luke has a, has a great way of explaining Scripture. If you look at uh, verse 37 again, it says, For nothing will be impossible with God. I know the NIV says something slightly different. Uh, but for the most part, it says nothing will be impossible with God. Now, this is a rendering of what God has done before. Luke is grabbing our attention and telling us, hey, think of Sarah. Think about Abraham and Sarah. If you turn to Genesis chapter 18, verse 19 through 14. Uh, Genesis chapter 18, verses 19 through, uh, 9 through 14, excuse me, 9 through 14. This is the promise that God made to them that Abraham and Sarah would bear a son. And it says, They said to him, where is your wife? This is the Lord speaking. And he said, she is in the tent. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year. And Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. Sarah was listening at the tent of the door behind him. Now, Abraham and Sarah were old, advancing years. The way of women has ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? 
And the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear his child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. He said, No, but you did laugh. But the point is here is, is, what, is what it said is, Is anything too hard for the Lord? No. Nothing is too hard for the Lord. And this is what Lucas is, is doing. He is paralleling his writings to what occurred in the life of Abraham and Sarah. You know, Jesus used the same verbiage uh, concerning the issue of salvation in Matthew chapter 19 verses 20, uh, 16 through uh, 26. When the rich young ruler came to Jesus asking, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus told him to sell all his possessions. For the rich young man, but the rich man, you know the story. The rich young man went away sorrowful, sad, because he had accumulated great wealth. But then the disciples asked him, who then can be saved? And this is what Jesus said. With uh, men, with men, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Therefore, the question at hand is anything too hard for God? Is anything impossible for God? That is in the negative uh, way of standing, but the positive way is there is nothing will be impossible for God. Nothing. Oh, if you're not already there, turn back to Luke chapter 30, uh, 1, verse 37. The literal meaning of the word impossible is being incapable, unable to do something. Not able to accomplish a task. I, I will regret and dread the day if I ever find out that God is incapable of doing something. That means because I'm serving and worshiping the wrong God. God is not bound by limits. He is not bound by chains. I heard a pastor once said, was a prosperity pastor. He once said that God needed our permission to do something. God is not bound by anything. Amen? Let's continue. As you can see behind me, the reason why I title God's servant, obedient servant, Mary, is because what we will learn in verse 38. In verse 38, it says, And Mary said, Behold, 
I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. How many of you have heard the song Ava Maria? It's a beautiful song. But after you read the lyrics, you will soon find out that the meaning of the song is totally different from what we see of Mary in Scripture. It says, the song goes like this, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and is blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Listen, Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and in the hour of our death. Amen. That's not Ava Maria, but you get the point. I, yeah, I got to double check my resources. But the point is this, you know, after I, I, I visit a Catholic church once before, and I, I really, I noticed something that was very startling. I, after the service, I noticed people walking up to Mary, a statue of Mary, and praying to her. Um, I wasn't too much, I knew of this, but I, it was still took me back. I was somewhat surprised. You know, in the state of, in the state of Ohio, and around the world, you would uh, hear Catholic believers uh, continue to worship and praise Mary. Even so, you will even, me, if you ever want to just do it for a religious activity or religious uh, education, you may visit a Catholic uh, church um, and see for yourself. But there's a lot of Catholic church churches that is that has named themselves the Queen of Heaven. You know, at first I thought it was just in a local thing in Ohio, but it is not. It's around the world. It's around the United States. Um. In fact, I own a commentary, a Catholic commentary on the Gospel of Luke, and I just read it to bounce my ideas on. And he used the same verbiage as well when it comes to Mary. Uh, he describes Mary with several titles. This is what he said. Mary admirably befitting her who is the glorious queen of heaven and earth and our star to guide us amidst the storms and darkness of this world to heaven of eternal security and rest. You know, when we think about how people place Mary where she ought not to be, there is no biblical connection. There is no biblical support that Mary is a queen of heaven. But there is a connection in terms of of, of the phrase Queen of Heaven. 
And that is found in the book of Jeremiah. In Jeremiah chapter 7 and also in chapter 44. In Jeremiah chapter 7, verses 16 through 18, this is what Jeremiah writes. As for you, do not pray for this people or lift up a cry or prayer for them. And do not intercede with me, for I will not hear you. Do you not see what they are doing in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem? The children gather wood, the the father kindled fire, and the women kneaded bread to make cakes for the queen of heaven. And they pour out drink offerings to other gods to provoke me to anger. So basically, the queen of heaven was a Babylonian goddess, a a Babylonian deity. It was believed that she was the god of fertility uh, to help women to bear children. And in Jeremiah chapter 44, verse 17 through 25, he warned Israel that God will punish uh, them if they continue to worship the queen of heaven. But they reply by saying, uh, we have no intent of stopping from worshiping the queen of heaven. And this is exactly what Catholicism has done with Mary. Now, Catholics have elevated Mary from, um, the, from being the mother of Jesus to the mother of God. And instead of commending her of her fa- or being faithful, they worship her as the queen of heaven. Beloved, I say this with the utmost respect to our Catholic uh, friends, there is no queen of heaven. There will never be a queen of heaven. God does not share his throne with no one. The ideal of placing Mary where she ought not to be is idolatry. There is only one person who rules in heaven. And that is the Lord of hosts, the Most High, Yahweh. So the very fact that she is titled Queen of Heaven is like a co-redemptress, like she is the mediator between God and man. However, I do say this about Mary. She deserves recognition, but she doesn't deserve to be worshipped. We ought to recognize her for this reason, her obedience. Her response, her first response to the angel's announcement was, how can this be? Her questioning turn into submission. And this is what she said in verse 38. Behold, I am the Lord's servant. 
let it be to me according to your word. Again, she said, I am the Lord's servant. Now, the Greek word for uh, servant is render as duly. It's a feminine uh, noun for female slave. It literally means slave. The difference between the difference between a servant and a slave is that a servant get paid for their wages. A slave does not. The slave does not get paid for their labor. And Mary used the same Greek word in the in verse forty eight saying he has looked on the humble estate of his duly, according to verse forty eight, his servant, his slave. You know, I know many of you may not like the word slave because it carries negative connotations and I understand that. But however, Mary is using it in a positive sense. So does Paul when Paul says, But thanks be to God that you who once were slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to be the standard of teaching to which you were committed and having been set free from sin, having become the slaves of righteousness. What is important here is not the word slave, but the concept of how it conveys a believer's relationship to the Lord. It conveys that a believer has totally surrendered their rights to obey the will of the Lord. So don't get hung up on the word slave, but understand the concept behind it. Use it in a positive sense and say, I am the Lord's duly. And this is exactly what Mary did. She humbled herself to obey the word of the Lord. She was submissive to God's will. She did not object to the word of God, but surrender all her rights. She said, I am a bond slave of the Lord. Mary is saying, I am completely submissive to the Lord. Do what you will, God. This is what true obedience looks like. This is how we ought to obey the Lord. Remember, Mary was a young teenager, probably around the age of 13 or around the age of uh, 16. So when she heard uh, Gabriel's announcement that she will bear a son while a virgin, she asked, she never asked to be the mother of the Messiah. She never asked 
that I want to be a mother at that age. But God imposed that upon her life. But she was willing to do whatever God wanted her to do, despite the reality that it could have caused her her very life. Now, do you remember what I said about when a woman is betrothed uh, to a man, that they are legally married? Being betrothed is not an engagement. They are married. And the very fact that Mary was pregnant before Joseph, uh, Joseph and her ever consummated their marriage, would have been considered as adultery. In many cultures, adultery is considered as a crime, right? Under certain circumstances, in the Roman culture, women can be punished if they are caught in adultery. In our culture, uh, we do not criminally punish people, uh, but we shame them. Uh, we all remember the sexual scandal between our former president, Monica, uh, President Clinton, and Monica Lewinsky. He was publicly shamed. But in Jewish culture, under Jewish laws, men and women were criminally punished for adultery. They, were, they could have been stoned to death if they were caught in adultery. Now listen to the reading of Leviticus chapter 20, verse 10. It says, If a man commits adultery with the wife of his neighbor, both the adulterer and the adulteress shall surely be put to death. You know, do you remember the story when the Pharisees caught a woman in adultery according to John chapter 8, uh, verses 1 through 11? And they brought her to Jesus in order to test him. And this is what they said. Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery, now in the law of Moses, command us to stone such women. So the very ideal that Mary uh, were to bear a child, it caused, it could have costed her life. So when she asked the question, how can this be? I don't think she was just thinking about a miracle. I think other thoughts flooded her mind. That I can lose my life. Turn to Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 22. Joseph understood that Mary was in danger concerning the birth of Jesus, or should I say the conception of Jesus. It says in Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 22, 
Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved the divorce resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord has spoken by the prophets. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God is with us. So the point is this. God, uh, Joseph understood that Mary's life was in danger. This is the reason why he decided to resolve the marriage quietly. If he would have publicly Uh, made it known that Mary was pregnant, it would have cost it her life. But being a just man, he decided to not do that. Now, Mary is a very remarkable, well, was a very remarkable young lady. Because under the circumstances of taking upon a task that the Lord imposed upon her was tremendous. I admit, I struggle to be obedient to the Lord. I am not obedient to the Lord on a constant basis. But when I read about Mary, when I learn about her obedience, it gives, it strengthens my faith. That we ought to surrender our lives to whatever will the Lord has for us. Has God ever redirected your footsteps? Has God ever changed your life plans? At what cost to you are you willing to be obedient to the Lord? You know, in Luke chapter 9, verses 23 and 24, Jesus said, And he, if anyone would come after me, Let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. We all know that the cross itself was a torture device. It's something that the Lord himself, as I just read, command us to pick up. And this is what obedience looks like. 
going against our natural inclinations to do what we desire to do, but being obedient to the Lord. This is true obedience. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I do ask you that whatever I said to them, you will apply it to their lives and in the way that they can understand. Because all of our lives are different. It would be impossible for me to come up with many applications, so I do ask you that you will apply it in a way that it will be applicable in their lives. Help us to be obedient. Help us to be like Mary. Help us to be like your son. That he was obedient to the point of death. And Lord, I do pray for the offering. I do ask you that you will bless this offering. Allow it to further your gospel in this community, the greater city of Akron, the state of Ohio, and around the world. And I pray this in your son's name. Amen.